Our series is His Story, Our Story. And today brings us to His Story, The Last Supper. The Last Supper. His Story, The Last Supper. Our Story is now The Lord's Supper. And today as we think about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, uh, one can't help but immediately think about Da Vinci's painting of Christ, his disciples, that painting of, of Jesus with them. I have the thought that when we look at Scripture, one of the best ways to grasp it is to picture it the Last Supper. But there's also the, the Lord's Supper. And, and for us, that's, that's two symbols. Uh, there's a piece of unleavened bread, and there's a cup of juice. The simplest of simplest things, that which is easy to be obtained, a piece of bread, a, piece, a little cup of juice, Jesus says, I'm going to have that be your memorial. You don't need to build this huge monument like the Washington Monument. You, you don't have to have a, a, un, a, a tomb to an unknown soldier in Arlington for you to go to to be reminded of the sacrifice of soldiers. You're going to take a piece of bread. And you're going to take a cup of juice, and you're going to be reminded of me. Today, we, we talk about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. Now, the Lord's Supper is in Matthew, just a few verses. It's in Mark, just a few verses. But in Luke... Luke will give some more details. It's the most detailed of the, the supper. John, we're going to see in a few moments, he gives a lot of details that the other three don't give, uh, starting in chapter 13. But here in Luke 22, if you have your place, it says, And when the hour came, now I have that highlighted, when the hour came, uh, you know throughout the ministry of Jesus, there was a number of times people wanted Jesus to do certain things, and he said, my hour has not come. But now the hour has come. The hour has come for this meal, this Passover meal, but it's also he is in his last hours. And unless you understand that, it doesn't have as much meaning. He's in his last hours hours of life. It says he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly, uh, New King James says, fervently, I have earnestly, fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. All the details that are taking place in that last week of his life, there's something that has become a priority for Jesus. He wants to spend this meal with his disciples. And matter of fact, he will be making preparations throughout the week and on the day of to make absolutely sure he can be, a, he can be with his disciples. There is much he wants to say to them. He wants to spend last hours 
with his disciples. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until the, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And now as they're eating, he took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it, and he gave it to them. One has to wonder if there was some flashback of him taking bread to feed 5,000, and he, he broke it. He broke that bread. He passes it to them, and now he makes this most incredible statement. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The Passover meal. I want to remind you right up front, the Passover was very much a part of the life of Jesus. Very much so. Uh, when we go back to the very beginning of Luke, we have a story of the announcement of his birth. And then in chapter 2, there is his birth. And, 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 and we, we read, quote, the Christmas story. And then all of a sudden, as we've been reading about shepherds coming to worship him and, and, and the, the different details taking place there with Mary and, and Joseph, uh, going to Jerusalem with his circumcision and dedication. All of a sudden, we fast forward in that same chapter 12 years. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Every year they're taking their little boy to Jerusalem so that he could be a part of Passover, so that he could be experiencing that time of remembrance. And then in verse 42 it says, And when he was 12 years of age, they went up according to the custom. And you know the story. That's where he's going to go into the temple. And there he's going to be talking with these religious leaders. And they're going to be blown away. This guy knows his Bible. And they're asking him all kinds of questions, and he's giving them answers, and they're astonished. And, and you also remember this is where his parents realized, uh, I think we lost Jesus. And they got to run back to Jerusalem like, where is this boy? And he says, I must be about my father's business. But that, the point is, at an early age, he is observing the Passover. This is part of his life. When we come to John chapter 2, verse 13, it says the Passover of the Jews were at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John chapter 2 is the beginning of his ministry. We, we see in, chapter 20, in verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. He started getting followers because of being at the Passover, John 6. We're now at the middle part of his ministry. It says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews were at hand. John 13, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of, the, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that would be the beginning of John telling all that would take place at that Passover meal. The Passover is crucial in his life. Why is it crucial in his life? Because there was a purpose for the Passover. 
Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1 says, You shall keep the Passover. Verse 3 says, That all the days of your life you may remember the day when, the, when you came out of the land of Egypt. As Moses is now given the second law of Deuteronomy, he makes it clear, you're to keep this Passover. He had told them that in Exodus 12, chapter 13 as well. You're to keep the Passover. Why? So that you will remember what God did. When God took them out of Egypt, he took them out with a mighty hand, a strong hand. He delivered them from slavery. They're supposed to remember this. Now, Jesus, from an early age, is being taught God redeemed his people. God had a lamb, and there was a day when, when they took that lamb, and they would kill that lamb, and they would take the blood, and they would put it on a door. And when the lamb, when the angel came, that angel would see the blood of a lamb at the top of the door, on the side of the door, they would see a cross He's being told that story, and he's celebrating that. He's remembering this is what God did for his people. And now, as we come to this last meal, this last supper, this Passover will become the first Lord's Supper. Watch what he does as he, as he makes the transition, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body. It's no longer now about the Passover lamb of Exodus. Now John had said, behold, the lamb of God. He's letting them know, I am the Passover lamb. I am the one that's going to give my life for you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that word remembrance, that's got to be the word that's going to resonate with the disciples in that upper room. Remember. Because you can't read the Old Testament law without seeing that word over and over and over and over because God knows his people are forgetful, so he will call them to remember. So when we sit here today, getting ready to observe the Lord's Supper, what is our purpose today? I want to give you three things for our purpose today. Three purposes for the Lord's Supper. And number one, it is to remember. It is to remember. I, I like to use phrases that hopefully will make your mind work. We are to remember to remember. You need to remember to remember. You're forgetful. So remember to remember. Anybody ever use that phrase with their kids? You need to remember to remember to take your lunch. You need to remember to remember to take your book bag. Uh, the wife may say, you need to remember, to remember that you need to pick up the things I've told you to pick up. You need to remember, to remember. Or we could say it this way, we are not to forget, to not forget. Don't forget, to don't forget. Don't forget. I could take you, if we had the time, we don't. But I could take you to at least 10 different passages in Deuteronomy where God says, don't forget. This very week, this very past week, we've had that opportunity to be reminded of how important it is to remember and not forget. 
9-11. If you would click on images of 9-11, you would find there would be these kind of pictures that said, we will never forget. We will remember. I found one that says, we will remember and never forget. Why do we have to have those kind of statements? Because we are prone to forget. And Jesus doesn't want us to forget. God doesn't want us to forget. So we are called to remember. This is so important that we are to remember when Paul is putting together the, the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember when he's writing to the Corinthians, he's writing to a dysfunctional church. Sometimes we get a little irritated that our churches are dysfunctional. Guess what the Apostle Paul had? Dysfunctional churches are not new to the 21st century church. Paul had dysfunctional churches, and he had to come and write instructions. Here's what you need to do. Well, one of the places there was dysfunction in the Corinthian church was the Lord's Supper. People just seemed to take it for granted. They, they just seemed to have a lot of fun with it. It wasn't serious. Um, they got very careless and callous with the Lord's Supper. So in chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I received of the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And again, picture that. Picture that. Da Vinci's picture, if you will. But see that Lord's Supper. See, see them sitting around the table. And this is the night Judas is going to go out. He's going to leave. And he's going to betray. It says, and when he had given, he, when he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body which is, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then with the cup, and the same also with the cup after supper, this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul makes it very clear what Jesus said. Part of why we're doing this is to remember. Remember what? May I stir your minds this morning with two things to remember. Whenever you're observing the Lord's Supper, number one, remember the suffering Savior. Remember the suffering Savior. Remember, yes, the physical suffering. Think about that body being beaten. Think about it being nailed to a cross. Think about previous, before getting on the cross, the scourging. Think about the pain he felt. You know, he made a statement on the cross that speaks of the incredible agony his body was in. Two words. I thirst. You ever been there? Mouth so dry body in agony because of not having water. There's never been a statement that more identified with us as humans than I thirst. There's not a pain you've ever felt that he can't say, I know what it feels like on the cross. 
I thirst. I thirst. I am totally empty. My body is screaming out, I thirst. The physical pain, you remember that. Remember the emotional pain. She looked at his mom, seeing what she was having to see. But there's a spiritual pain. Nate referenced it for, as we started this service. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you, I, 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 when you try to comprehend that Jesus is on the cross, it's already, um, I, can't, I can't grasp that, that the, the creator of the world with all this power has allowed nails to hold him to the cross. He's been scourged. All the bodily pain he is facing, he stayed there. But, but now he's taken all the sins of the world on him and, and this relationship that he has, father, son, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Nate said so well, he, he was forsaken by God so that you and I would never be forsaken. Have you ever, I hope you haven't, but have you ever known that pain of being forsaken, a friend, a family member? It's gut-wrenching, and he's on this cross. You're, you're to remember the physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain. You are to remember suffering. Savior, suffering, taking our punishment. That's what he's doing. He's taking our punishment. Everything that he's receiving is what we're supposed to receive because we're the sinners. He's taking it. But not only remember the suffering Savior, remember our sufficient salvation. Remember our sufficient salvation. In a few moments, you'll be taking a piece of bread and a cup of juice. As I said, simple. And when you're holding it, you've got to be reminding yourself, everything that I needed for salvation was done by him. You're not going to observe the Lord's Supper today in order to get saved. You're observing the Lord's Supper because you are saved. He paid it all. You're remembering everything that you ever needed to be able to go to heaven. Jesus Christ paid it all. Everything's taken care of. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. You're here today to observe and remember and thank him for his great salvation. It's sufficient. His salvation is sufficient to remind us of that this morning, to remind us of a suffering Savior and a sufficient salvation what is your response to the call to remember? In this room today, we have young children, and we have those that go into their 90s. 
what is your response? Some of you have a testimony of just getting saved, and some of you have been saved for decades. What is your response? You know, you think about remembering your salvation. It doesn't matter how old you are. That thought, Jesus, on this moment, saved me. For me, February 15th, 1983, in an apartment in Dallas, Texas, kneeling down and said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have nothing at all to save me except you. I believe you died for me. You were buried and you rose again. I'm trusting you for my salvation. I call on you for salvation. And that night, God saved me. And I can't help but still rejoice. And today I have a chance to remember my Savior and my salvation. I would hope, I would hope that the call to response is, uh, to, to remember your response would be 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Could you truly explain Jesus? Can you truly explain your salvation? What a gift he has given us. I would hope that part of your response would be Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb. By the way, you're wondering what you're going to be singing in heaven? Just read some of the songs in Revelation. The theme song is Worthy is the Lamb. I'm hoping this morning when you're holding the element, you will find yourself crying out, Worthy is the Lamb. We are called to remember. We're also called this morning to repent. We are called to repent. When we go back to Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, he said, whoever, verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Remember, they're a dysfunctional church, and they're not taking this serious. And he says, guys, you got to take this serious. God takes this serious, and this has got to stop. you gotta, you got to do something before you're taking the Lord's Supper. And he says, let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You and I are called to live holy lives. Yes, we live by grace, saved by grace, live by grace, but we're never to take advantage of grace. Shall a man sin that grace may abound? What did Paul say? God forbid. We're to take living for Christ seriously. And as he calls us to holiness, we're supposed to be in a process called sanctification. And the Lord's table gives us the opportunity to examine how we're doing with our sanctification. First, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We need to be clean before the Lord. It is a process. When I come to the Lord's table, examining myself, that's what he says, examine oneself. 
It's like going to a doctor, but before going to the doctor, I, I want to examine myself. I want to be ready before I go. What, what all is he going to be examining? And I hope I'll be there to get a good report. I'm going to check my weight a few weeks before I have to go and see if I need to be losing any weight. I don't want to get a bad report. For me, more than physical, the spiritual examination. What does a spiritual examination look like? Well, it should go from head to toe. Just like a physical from head to toe. Lord, I want to examine my eyes before you. Anything unclean. Lord, ears, anything unclean. Mind, anything unclean. Mouth, anything unclean. Neck, anything unclean. Hands, anything unclean. Feet, anything unclean. Heart, anything unclean. Some of you may look and go, why is the neck there? You know, one of God's great indictments on his people in the Old Testament, he called them stiff-necked. That's, that's the person who's come with pride. You're not, you're, you're not going to tell me what to do. I shall not be moved. That's, that's, that's pride. That's arrogance. And so you've got to examine yourself. Are the eyes clean? Are the ears clean? Are the mind clean? The mouth clean? Your neck, are, are you prideful? Hands, feet, heart. I, I know this. I, can, I am to self-examine. I am to self-examine. I make a statement. Leadership, the first person you lead is yourself. The first person you lead is yourself. You never should be thinking, I'll lead others without first leading yourself. Well, in leading yourself, get help. That's the second point of leadership. Don't try to lead yourself without getting some help. Well, don't try to examine yourself without getting some help. And what does Psalms 139 say? Psalms 139 verse 23 says, Investigate my life, O God. Investigate my life. Wow. I'm inviting God to investigate. God, take a look. Uh, he, He says, find out everything about me. Examine me and test me. What, what do you need, David? What do you want God to examine? And see if there's any wicked way in me. Oh, talk about going to the level of totally being exposed before God. God he, David is saying, I want you to look and see if there's anything in me. Is there anything in my eyes? Am I looking at anything I shouldn't be looking at? Am I listening to anything with my ears that I shouldn't be listening to? Am I thinking on anything I shouldn't be thinking on? Am I, am I saying anything I shouldn't be saying? Am I resisting what you want to do with the stiff neck? Are my hands unclean and unholy, touching things that I shouldn't be touching? Am I going places I shouldn't be going? God, I want you to search me. Search my heart, God. Is it clean before you? When we think about the Lord's Supper, it is a time to make sure we are clean, that we are repenting of anything that is in our life that should not be. Lord, examine me. But I would say to you, it's more than just taking time to check, your, uh, check on your sanctification, where you are with sin and what sin may be there that needs to be gotten out. I, I think the Lord's Supper is also a time where we f- check ourselves on, are we engaged in serving others? Are we living out the Christian life the way it should be? I bring that out because in the teaching of the Lord's Supper, when Jesus is having this meal with his disciples, 
we have some very sacred moments, one in which Jesus will get up from the table. He'll take a towel and he will bend down and he will begin to, I don't know if I can even say this. I can't hardly conceive this. The creator, the master, the Lord of the universe is now going to wash his disciples' feet. No, I'm with Peter. What are you doing? That's not his place. Not the king of the universe. But yet, verse 12 says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and returned to his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Wow. If Jesus served then what gives you the right to say, I will not serve? He came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. If you want to be like Jesus, you must be a servant. If your mindset is, I live for others to serve me, you don't have the Christian life. You're not comprehending the Christian life. Are, are, are you serving? Examine yourself. Are you selfish or are you serving? But not only are we serving, we need to in, find out if we're engaged in loving others. Again, we go back to John. In this time, at the table, he says, a new commandment I give you. And the commandment is this, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another why? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How does anyone in Winston-Salem know that we're Christians? I wear a Jesus first pin. Maybe I wear a Christian t-shirt. Maybe I, I, I conform to some kind of hair code or or I have some kind of uh, rules in my life. Oh, there goes a Christian. You know what Winston-Salem folks are supposed to be saying about us? I believe they're Christians because they keep loving people. They just keep loving people. And, and, what, do you, and what do you know about love? The time a person needs love the most is when they deserve it the least. Man, I love to love on Kivet when he's just doing everything right. Easy for me to love my kids when they're doing everything right. Easy for me to love students and love teachers when everything's going right. But when something comes up in their life, wait a minute, that's when love really shows up. You love one another? How is your love right now for other people? I, I move on. 
not only should we be examining about our service and not only examine our love, I think we ought to examine when we examine ourselves, how are we doing with the component of forgiving one another? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Christians are forgivers. Why? Because Christ forgave us. And, and, and where it gets serious this morning in this very room where I don't know what you brought into this room, where there may be, I'm sitting on one side because someone else is sitting on the other side. There may be some of you watching right now who refuse to come to the building because you don't want to be around somebody. You're harboring a grudge against a person. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 23, if, so if you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against Against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wanted to make sure the relationships were being kept close, that we are resolving problems and we're forgiving one another. We sat in a staff meeting this week preparing for this and Harper opened with devotions, and he said uh, his pastor in Kansas made this statement. Long accounts make for short relationships. Short accounts make for long relationships. He didn't know where I was going with this message, but when I heard that, I said, hold on, hold on. i got, I got to write this down. This, this is powerful. You understand, long accounts make for short relationships. If you're going to hold the grudge, if you're not going to forgive, if you're going to say that person now goes to the doghouse and they stay in the doghouse and they never get the, you know what? The relationship's going to end. Forgiveness is the glue that holds all relationships together. And if you as a Christian will not forgive someone, then guess what kind of relationship you're going to have with that Christian? Nil. It's not going to happen. It's over. And now we're not showing love for one another. How much forgiveness are you supposed to extend? The exact same amount that Christ forgave you with. Got to hate Ephesians 4.32, don't you? Man, it messes up a whole lot of, I can hold this person. I'm going to hold a grudge against that one. You can't do it. This morning I'm calling for you to think about with this Lord's Supper not only remembering, but repenting. How do you respond to it? 1 John 1, 9. Oh my. If we confess our sins, boy, we're going to be in trouble. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our purpose is to remember our purpose is to repent. I would say thoroughly to you this morning, our purpose is to resolve. To resolve, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Proclaims. That's the statement of I am going to do. I'm going to make him known. We moved to Winston-Salem 
a little over a year ago to start work as the head of school for Salem Baptist Christian School, moved in a house around middle of December. I'm a history nut. I love history, and, and, and Salem offers a lot of history. And a few weeks ago, uh, Danita and myself uh, went by Old Salem. And there, as we walked just through the visitor center, all of a sudden it, it hit me about the incredible history, not just of, of Winston, but mainly of Salem, about Salem. You know your history about Salem is tied directly to the Moravians, the Moravians. Uh, there's a picture here if you go to Old Salem, that, that's the church there. I can't get away from uh, the Moravian Church because every time I come here, I'm driving uh, Academy. Uh, uh, is that right? Yes. And, and as I come up Academy, there's Christ Moravian. So even this morning as I drove, there's that church. And all around this area is the Moravian churches, one after another. That's your history. That's Salem's history. What do you know about Salem's history? Moravians. What do you know about the Moravians? How did it get founded? Who made this a missionary movement? The man's name is Count Zinzendorf, a young man that when he was very young received lots of inheritance, lots of money, and he became a playboy. He was having a blast. He was having so much fun living the worldly life. But one day, as he was on called the Grand Tour he found himself in Dusseldorf going to the art gallery there. And if, if you go back to the slide with the picture, there he sees this picture. He sees this picture that is entitled, E.C. Homo, Behold the Man. Behold the man. And as he walked into the art gallery, he sees this painting and it caused him to first be repulsed. He, he, he's looking, it just doesn't have any appeal to it. And there was an usher who said, you must go closer. He didn't want to go closer. He said, go closer. And he moved closer. It was even more revolting to him. But he said, you got to go lower. Go closer, go lower, go closer, go lower. Until finally he's up at the painting and there he sees that there was something written. And what was written were these words, this I have done for you. What have you done for me? This I have done for you. What have you done for me? And on that day it is said that Count Zinzendorf, upon looking upon this painting of Behold the Man, it was almost a mystical moment as he, he bowed before this painting and he found himself overwhelmed with what Jesus had done for his salvation. And at that moment, he dedicated himself, he dedicated himself 
to complete full service to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm all yours to do whatever you want. And from that moment comes this great Moravian missionary movement that would take the gospel all over the world. A moment where he beheld the man. And in a few moments, you're going to hold a piece of bread and you're going to hold a cup with juice in it to remind you of a man that went to a cross, the Son of God, and died for you. And there ought to be out of that moment a resolve. Lord, as I, can, as I, as I remember what you did for me, I resolve today. What will you resolve? What will you resolve?